0: Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com, so please subscribe. We speak today to Fortune Majapello, CEO of Bushveld Minerals. They are a Vanadium producer with assets in South Africa. We talked to them about the 2019 numbers and why they disappointed the market and what the rest of 2020 holds in store. They're looking to become 9% of the world's vanadium production. We look at the vanadium price and where that's going in the medium to long term. We talk about JSE versus AIM. And we also look at the tender process that they're going through and lots of other topics as well. So enjoy the podcast. Fortune, how are you doing, So
1: Very well. Thanks, Matthew, for having me
0: on your show. Beautiful. Beautiful. Good to see you back again. How um, have you been? You're at home, looks like.
1: <laughs> well, we're all working from home, as yeah. far uh, as possible. Um, but um, our operations are running, so, you know, we've got people out in the, um, um, at the operations making vanadium. Um, and, um, you know, it's a difficult and very different time, of course. Um, a lot of new things to deal with and contend with, uh, that's going to change dramatically the way we operate um, and the way we live lives, right? Um, But uh, we've got to find a way of um, adjusting to this new normal. Um, We still need to make vanadium. The world still needs vanadium and uh, I'm glad that we're doing that.
0: This is is true. It will be a different world. It is a new normal and we'll have to see how we come out the other side. But hey, look, why don't we kick off for people new to this story and give us that one-minute overview of Bushveld minerals um, and then we'll pick it up from there.
1: It's the same story we've told. Um, In our large, uh, low cost, vertically integrated Vanadium platform, Um, we believe that uh, the outlook for Vanadium remains in the medium to long term, a really good one. Um, And we think that as a primary producer, as a company, we're really well positioned uh, to grow in this space um, and uh, located as we are on the Bushford complex with our large, high-quality resource base, uh, with now two processing plants following that acquisition of Vankem, which we completed in November last year. Between the two plants well positioned to grow our production from 2,930 last year up to about more than 8,400 uh, in coming years. And um, you know, we—it's a growth—it's a growth plan strategy that we remain committed to, notwithstanding the COVID uh, disruptions. And then, of course, the uh, downstream part of our business with Bushford Energy—we uh, see a bright future for energy storage systems, particularly long-duration energy storage systems. And again, it's a place we see Bushford really well positioned to emerge as a leader, um, playing a critical role. Uh, to support the adoption of vanadium redox flow batteries in that uh, in that growing and exciting space,
0: fantastic. Look, I think the the thing that I'm interested in understanding though is, you, you your 2019 numbers came out. They were well. Were they as ex- as you expected them? Because they it seemed like the market wasn't expecting that kind of impact on you. Purely, I, I, and what do you put it down to?
1: Yeah. Look, uh, in terms of what you expect, right? I always say. Focus firstly on things that are within your control, right? So for us, it is production, and it is cost. Um, we met our guidance last year in terms of the production volumes, um, and we also met our cost guidelines. So uh, guidance, which is which is quite quite a positive thing uh, to to have achieved. I should also highlight that from 2018, uh, 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 2017, 20, 2018, 20, 2019, we've continued to show improvement. Uh, last year at Vamedco, we produced. Uh, record volumes from magnetite ore only, um, and uh, you know our costs continue to show improvement. As we grow our production volumes, we expect to continue improving that cost position as well. Um, you know, in terms of revenue, uh, revenue base, uh, we generated 116 million dollars uh, in revenues, a significant uh, drop from 192 million dollars the year before. But I think viewed in terms of uh, the vanadium price uh, fall, uh, you know, from about $74, which is what we realized in 2018, uh, last year we only realized uh, $48.90. So the revenue drop is is solely attributable to uh, the drop in the vanadium prices, which is something that you can entirely control. What you can control, as I said, is your costs uh, to make sure that you still can be producing reasonable and good margins. Uh, we generated an EBITDA of 32.6 million dollars um, last year, which is something we we particularly pleased with, um, and uh, also ended the year with a sound with a sound cash position of uh, 34 uh, million uh, dollars. Uh, so, and I think you know the the COVID the COVID uh, pandemic uh, arrived at a time I think for us as a company where we are in a sound state financially. Uh, we had implemented in 2018, sorry, in 2019, a transformation program at Vermetco to even improve more on uh, you know our performance, our operational uh, efficiencies, um, and I think you know that will stand us in good stead uh, for this year going forward as well.
0: Yeah, I mean it's a well-run operation. You know, we've talked in the past. We like we like the the business model. We like the way that you go about doing things, but price is something you can't control. I, I agree, but at the same time you can sort of set market expectations. So how do you stop talking to us about, you know, medium to long-term pricing when this is an unusual environment in which you're operating currently, isn't it?
1: It is. And look, Vanadium is a very volatile commodity. I think that's something we've always known and we've seen before. Um, and. Uh, We've always argued that the best protection you can have against volatility is to be a low-cost producer. Make sure that through the cycle you're generating positive margin. And and that's our number one commitment with our operations, to make sure that we drive that cost position even further uh, down um, in that first quarter of the cost curve. But we're in the Vanadium market because we believe that it's it's an attractive market. We have outlined that we see uh, the market structurally to be one characterized by a structural uh, deficit. Um, The the reasons for which we have explained being that demand is anchored in the steel sector where it continues to grow on the back, of course, of a growing intensity of use of vanadium supported in large part by the uh, new regulations in markets like China, Uh, to push out low-quality rebars, Um, we see energy storage applications, particularly when vanadium prices have adjusted uh, to uh, the kind of levels we see today, we think energy storage applications for vanadium redox flow batteries will get a boost, uh, which will support demand even further. Um, Then on the supply side, um, you know, the concentration of supply um, and the fact that that supply is dominated by co-producers, and I'll talk to that in a moment because there's some interesting developments in that space, which, in my view, uh, make the outlook even more interesting. Um, and with very limited uh, scope for new supply in the horizon, um, you know. So, so when we talk about a structural deficit, that thesis is one that we we still think is um, is a medium to long term. Uh, feature of the vanadium market, uh, which is one of the reasons by the way why we uh, you know remain committed to our growth um, plan um, and because we think that it is primary producers who ideally are well suited uh, to meet this growing requirement for vanadium now I talked about the co producers and and what is interesting to note about them is that, and this is also, by the way, something which, which is an, uh, explains what happened in 2018 with with uh, in 2019 with the vanadium price uh, drop that we saw. Um, it is it is a couple of things. One is we saw in 2019 um, steel production, crude steel production in China grow quite strongly. Um, we're talking about production that went to almost a billion tons. It went up more than seven percent uh, last year. Uh, at the same time, we have uh, iron ore prices uh, that averaged above ninety dollars uh, per ton, um, and um, this is in part still due to uh, the tailings, uh, the supply disruptions associated with the Brazilian tailings stem collapse, plus uh, logistics uh, constraints associated. We think um, uh, with 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 the COVID will continue to impact in some ways the the iron ore market, but with a high iron ore price the incentive for co-producers to blend uh, their captive deposits uh, with hematite ores, um, which we have argued in the past limits the amount of vanadium slag produced by co-producers. In 2019, what we actually saw was the co-producers really ramping up their production and operating at near full capacity. So what you ended up with is, um, you know, at the back end of 2018 um, and, and 2019, we saw an increase in niobium uh, imports into China because of course, vanadium prices had gone all the way up to about 130, uh, you have a highest vanadium slave production uh, in China and therefore you have higher uh, vanadium units uh, production. Um, and then you have an implementation of the new standards that is uh, not as um, as strict as was anticipated The result, of course, was um, in a perfect uh, set of circumstances to see vanadium uh, price uh, retraction that we saw. But as I said, if co-producers are operating at near full capacity today, and if the growing intensity of use will continue to support vanadium growth, according to Roskill, just in the steel sector, vanadium consumption is set to continue growing at about 2.2% per annum. You have to ask the question where the vanadium units are going to come from to close that gap. Um, and if we look within the supply picture, if you take out uh, capacity expansions, such as the ones we are doing as Vemetco uh, at Vankem, or the likes that you'll have seen, the likes of uh, ro- um, Lago Resources talking about, or restarts of which they're very, very limited in the restart space, you're looking at the likes of Vindemora, uh in Australia. Uh, all the ones I've talked about are primary producers, right? Then you have to look at what projects are under development, uh, undergoing different stages of feasibility studies. Most of those projects are co-production facilities that require substantial capex and that are really dependent on steel market economics to make sense. Our own view internally is that those projects have got a very low likelihood of coming on stream. And that is why we argue that primary producers Mm -hmm. do need to gear up to increase their production to meet this growing uh, demand going forward. So on that basis, if you then ask the question about our outlook on Vanadium prices, the question you have to ask yourself is going to be a question around what you see as the incentive price for new Vanadium uh, supplier to come on stream. On a Greenfield basis, um, if you are not talking South Africa, um, where you've got the type of grades that you see in South Africa, or Brazil, where you're talking grades like you see Lago has. The only other places you're going to look at the kind of grades you have, the Vanadium price you need to support new supply development is significantly north of the kind of levels we see today. And that is why we still do think that, you know, there is more upside to the Vanadium price than
0: there is downside. What I'm trying to get at is what can, what are the things that you can do? You've talked about keeping costs low, you're, you know, lowest quartile producer, fantastic. Um, the, the business that you're constructing and putting together, um, it, it makes sense to a lot of people, but at the same time, um, they're looking for you to give them better guidance in the marketplace as to you know what's coming down the line. Because we're, 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 you've got a lot of moving parts. This is a complex business. There's a lot of moving parts. Okay, That seems to be the feedback that we're getting um, on this. So if we break down and stick with just um Bushbelt minerals for now. You've got a number of projects outstanding. You've made a number of acquisitions. You do have cash, but what's the focus for 2020, the rest of 2020 looking like?
1: I think there are a number of moving parts, but in the end it's really quite simple, right? I think in terms of our core focus, which is Vanadium production. We outlined that we were following a brownfield strategy to acquire assets um, and bring them into production so we can actually get increase our production volumes uh cheaper than it would cost us on a greenfield basis. That was the basis for the acquisition of Ametco is the basis for the acquisition of Vencam. Between the two plants, we now own two of four operating primary vanadium processing plants in the world. Um and um we have the asset base to now scale up our production um, and as we move more tons through our plants we lower our cost even further Um, so as far as the is concerned we articulated a plan to grow production to 4200 tons per annum um, on the back of phase 3 expansion initiative there and uh, at vanchem it's a refurbishment program, uh, which will bring all three kilns into operation as opposed to the single one that is operating now and will take production at vanchem to 4,200, right? Those two plants will position us as one of the leading, if not the largest primary vanadium producer uh, in the world um, with a very low cost production base. So I think simplistically, that is of an agent production play the question that may be asked and i'll talk to energy in a second is to achieve that growth um what capital do we need to spend do we have the capital or do we still need to go to the capital markets to raise that money um, and i think those are valid questions to ask um, and uh, the answer to which is we have outlined what sort of capital we anticipate spending um in terms of Medco uh, refurbishing Vankem, we outlined about a $45 million refurbishment program to bring the Mokopane mine into production, about $22 million, and Vankem expansion which is about $25, $26 million. So in total, you're talking approximately a $100 million capital expenditure plan over the next four to five years. Um, we have uh, also been relatively clear that we anticipate financing that from the cash that we generate from our own operations and uh, that we are comfortable also that there are various uh, financing instruments available to us. The beauty is we don't need to have all this financing upfront in one go. It's a, it's a, it's, it's an, it's a program over a four to five year period. Uh, this year alone in 2020, we expect to produce 4,000 to 4,300 tons of vanadium. That's about 35 to 40 plus percent increase on last year's production volumes our guidance in terms of cost is uh, an improvement on last year already so you know before we've even implemented our phase three expansion at vermetco and before we've even really uh, brought in second and third cones into operation at farm we are we are growing our production base and we are lowering our cost base and therefore positioning our company even better uh, I'm comfortable that what we have is a prudent and um, conservative plan. Um, we will not, we are not under pressure to run to the markets. Um, we will over the period as, as I've outlined, uh, ensure that we fund these programs in the most uh, value accretive way uh, for our shareholders. On the bushfold energy front, Uh, You talked earlier on to the moving parts, yes, I think it's a story that people still need to get their head around to fully understand what it means from a value point of view. I think we've articulated what the strategy is, which is getting an electrolyte manufacturing facility uh, in place. We have partnered with the IDC, we have got investment approvals to begin construction, and uh, we are moving forward with that uh, plant in East London. It is also about ensuring we secure deployments. Uh, We've got the mini grid at Vermetco, which is moving forward, and we have a fairly attractive uh, pipeline of other projects that we're looking at deploying uh, VRFPs into, which we're developing. Then we announced also, you'll recall, that when we know we can solve the uh, the double challenge of supply of vanadium and the cost input of vanadium into VRFBs, we think we are a big enabler for the VRFB industry. How do we partner with the manufacturing companies to help them scale up their operations? And uh, we articulated a plan around the vanadium flow battery investment platform last year. Uh, we invested $5 million into uh, what is now Infinity Energy Systems, uh, listed on AIM. Uh, which has done pretty well for us um, and is a good example of how we want to play a catalyst role to assist VRFB companies access capital in the markets. We are not going to carry that load ourselves, but we can be a catalyst and we believe that by doing that, we can attract capital into this space. So, you know, we have, we have outlined these, I think, very Uh, in in a very granular manner, what it is that we're doing, and we're executing steadily against each of that, it will come a time in my view, where the value of Bushford energy to the entire Bushford mineral story will become a lot more apparent. Um, And, um, you know, I'm confident that that day will come sooner rather rather than later.
0: Okay, if I may, let's come back to um, Bushveld Minerals because there's a there's a few questions. You know, you you use the word granule there, and I hope you don't mind if we get a little bit like that. Now, you know, you've you've talked in the past about um, you know hitting a target number of eight thousand four hundred tons production. Mm. How do you go from you know going getting up to four thousand two hundred and up to eight thousand four hundred? What's the time frame? How much money? You know, what what are the plans as of today?
1: it's it, as i indicated we anticipate spending approximately a hundred million dollars at Vermedco specifically it's largely the bottlenecking initiatives um and you know we have a plant which is mine you crush your mill, you do magnetic separation you roast in the kiln. So it's quite a long flow sheet, um and uh, we spent a huge chunk of our efforts in the initial phases at Vermedco focusing on the upstream which is our Crushing in our milling circuit, our Maxep uh, concentration uh, capacity, and um, going forward, more work will then be on the downstream uh, aspects of the plant to, to to ensure that you know we get um, more throughput through the plant. That that we expect to do um, over the next. Uh, I think we've indicated a timeframe of three to five years um and uh in terms of spending we anticipate spending approximately 25 million dollars to achieve that um that's for medco um in respect of vancam uh we uh, the, the the 45 million dollars essentially uh, comprises three key mm-hmm. phases uh the first phase is um focused on critical refurbishment ensuring that we have the license to operate right it's it's making sure that our calcine dump facility is extended uh, some upgrading of our electrical reticulation system we bought a plant uh, which is an old plant and we need to make sure that with the single clone configuration we invest enough to sustain that level of production um, and that will see us produce about 1100 tons of vanadium at Vanchem, which is in line with the guidance we've given uh, this year Phase two refurbishment will then look to bring the second kiln online. Um, that work will start mainly next year, all the way through to 2022. Um, and with the second kiln operating um, and a new ammonia metavanadate plant built, we expect to produce about 3,100 tons uh, at Van Kiln. Um, timing for which is, as I said, around 2022, Um, And uh, we then have the third kiln, which we expect to then bring on uh, or to refurbish and bring on from 2023 to 2024, um, which will take us to the 4,200 target at Vankem.
0: Okay. And what's what's happening with Mokopane? What what stage are you at with that?
1: Thanks for raising that. Um, I I neglected to mention that um, with Vankem, its current source of ore is uh, a stockpile of ore we secured, uh, from, which came from, Mokop, from the Mapox mine, which is the uh, traditional old supply of ore to Van Camp. Uh, we also have the capacity to supply concentrate to Van Camp from Vermetco. Um, between those two, we will supply enough material to Van Camp to give it sufficient runway while we develop the Mokopane mine. The Mokopane mine itself is intended to be a primary source of ore for van kem uh, for the van kem plant
0: with regards to you know other, other on staying with Bishop minerals i mean you de- those are developing their current assets i mean are there any other plans in terms of enabling some kind of growth or some kind of growth story that you can talk to the market about because i get there's a kind of robust process in place i get yeah, that but,
1: but we're we, we almost troubling our production no yeah. i, get, I from, from last year uh, to eight thousand four hundred, I think it is fair to say that we need to deliver on that. You um, know, if if I, I think that in terms of just growth that we offer, um, that's in itself a fairly uh, you know strong growth profile uh, to put out there. I think if we start looking for for more uh, before we actually executing on what we have here on our plates, uh, you know, we I don't think that's necessarily the most prudent thing for us to do.
0: but what about listing on the on the Johannesburg exchange? That was a conversation that's been delayed now in why has it been delayed?
1: The reason it was delayed is is that we last year we were busy completing the acquisition of Van Kemen. we were listing on the Jse. how we treat Van Kemen in our books um, was was something that um, we had to deal with um, and um, there was just no way that we were going to be able to uh, uh, you know, complete, uh, well, complete a listing process while in the process where we're trying to complete an acquisition of a significant asset. Um, instead, what we did is we completed the acquisition of VanCam. We have done our uh, four-year results for 2019. We are now in a position where we can now move forward clearer about how you treat. Uh, van came from an accounting point of view as part of the broader group consolidated numbers. Uh, so it was really just down to, um, uh, uh, to the practicalities of, uh, of putting together the information that the regulators would require for you to achieve a listing on the JSE.
0: Okay. So some people understand that. We have also had a lot of questions coming in about why would you do a dual listing? Why Johannesburg? What are the benefits?
1: There are a number. Uh, one of them is the fact that uh, we think that the Bushfold story has got a lot of resonance uh, with, with South Africa um, at a number of levels. Uh, the growing calls for in-country beneficiation of materials. Uh, there's a growing, uh, I think, narrative around uh, African countries uh, increasing their share of the battery metals value chain. Um, and I think you were seeing raising policy support for those sort of initiatives. Um, We think that being uh, with asset base in South Africa, the investor base in South Africa will have a better appreciation uh, of what we have. And then overlay all of that with uh, some constraints that local capital pools have in terms of investing outside of South Africa. We felt that the best way to give them an opportunity to participate in our story would be to list on the JSE.
0: Okay, and can you explain what is the process? You've indicated already that it could be quite time-consuming. When, if you've got other things going on, what is the process? Because again, it's another question we've been asked. What is the process? What's the cost?
1: It's not entirely that much different from the process of listing on any other exchange, AIM or London. It is. It is that you have to put together an admission document. You have to make sure that you have, uh, you know, all the uh, 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 the financial reporting that goes with that, um, you know, it's the issue for us. As I said, wasn't so much about uh, the costs or the length of uh, of that process. It was just down to the practicalities of how you incorporate an asset that you're still in the process of of acquiring.
0: Okay, um, and no plans to delist from AIM. It was a question sent in. <laughs>
1: uh matthew i can' I can't give you a straight answer about that um I will be honest with you and tell you that uh we we we're very frustrated uh, as a company um in terms of um you know you do so much work you articulate i think a fairly robust strategy you execute with discipline against all of that. And, um, you know, the, the, the performance is there in terms of the assets, the quality, the production, you expect at some level that the share price looks after itself, right? Um, it, look, it may come down to some structural aspects, uh, such as the fact that, you know, coming as we do from a world where we're an exploration company with a very heavy retail shareholder base, um, you know, that as we grow, we do need to see more institutional shareholders on our register, you know, accept that. Um, but uh, at the same time, you know, for, thanks to the manner in which we acquired for um, and the cash it generated for us since we acquired it in 2017, we haven't had to run to the market to raise money uh, in a way that would have brought in institutions onto our register. And I think that's a positive thing in that as a company, we have a record of not rushing to capital markets and we look to protect our shareholders as far as possible. Um, you know, But the result is still that we have a very strong retail uh, shareholder register. And by the way, I'm very appreciative of the retail shareholders because they have been, and uh, they are the reasons why we've got to where we are uh, as a company. Um, so, you know, these are all sort of considerations, right? That say, how do we ensure that we do attract more institutions on our register? How do we make sure that there's greater understanding of the intrinsic value of the company, uh, which talks to how uh, the company, the analysis, the, uh, the coverage of the company and the right places by the right uh, uh, brokers, analysts. Uh, these are all things we, we are doing. Um, and um, uh, you know ultimately we hope that we'll get to that place where our share price uh, is more reflective of the underlying value of the um, of the assets we have that's that's what an exchange should be uh, should be doing Um, and um, you know all we can do at this point is i think to continue to do what we've been doing in terms of make sure the asset base and the operational base is robust and is delivering cash. And at the same time, as far as the capital market's uh, approach is concerned, we continue to explore ways to ensure that we do close that apparent gap we see between intrinsic value and the current share price we
0: have. You sound frustrated. You used the word frustrated there about the market not understanding what you've got, which I mentioned at the beginning. The beginning, it, it It's a little bit... Complicated, I think. I know you think it's easy, but I think for retail, they are finding the moving parts complicated. How do you go about ensuring that you much. get so for me? If how do you go about ensuring that you get more institutional investors on board? Because they're in it for the long term, right? It once they get over the hurdle of do we understand the what the future of the Vanadium market looks like? They're in it for the long term, which will bring some kind of stability. Um,
1: Matthew, it's not not for lack of appetite, right? I mean, we do roadshows to institutional shareholders. And and I can tell you that the level of interest in the story is actually quite solid. But I think the common uh, theme we come across is that institutions are generally reluctant to go on aim, it would appear, to go into the secondary market and build positions. Uh, So in general, they will typically wait for you to do, a placing or something like that for them to come onto your register. So, if you don't do that, um, and if going on the secondary market, you know, is not as successful, uh, how do institutions get onto your register? You see, it's a bit of a conundrum. I think we've got to be honest about it. Um, but you know, part of it is because. Like I said, we're not going to run to raise money uh, just for the sake of bringing institutions on the register. We will do it because one, we need it, and two, because the pricing makes sense.
0: Okay, so you can't give me a definitive answer on will you leave AIM. It depends on what you can achieve on AIM this year, and then you make some decisions.
1: Uh, I can't give you a definitive answer, unfortunately. Um, but I think you can also tell from my answer that uh we continuous we we continuously evaluating that.
0: What are the options?
1: Uh what are the options? Well the options are available to any company on AIM uh they include, you know, uh moving up for example to the main board or to the standard list. Uh JSE as we've indicated is uh, is another one that we're looking at. Um those those are options, right? Which one are we gonna do? I can't tell you right now.
0: Okay. Let me ask you about Lima Resources. What are you doing with that?
1: Look, Lima is, a, uh, is an interesting asset. It's a coal asset. Uh, we, our approach to it was to develop it uh, together with a power generation play. Um, we have Sino-Hydro as partners in there, uh, the Development Bank of South Africa. Southern Africa has also come on board with some financing and uh, also as a leader ranger. Uh, for the debt financing for that project. Look, I think we are quite clear it is a non-co-asset, um, but we also have said that being non-co-asset doesn't mean that you you just give it away. Uh, it means that you set it on a path where it can exist on a standalone basis uh, on its own. And that's very much uh, the strategy uh, with respect to
0: uh, uh, Lehman. So you're not distracted, it's not taking up too much of your time. but. You you focus on getting the right value for it. Absolutely. Okay, let's get on to Bushveld Energy, if we may. So, tell me tell me a little bit about what's happening with um, Dalian um, at the moment.
1: As far as we know, um, the first phase of that project, uh, which is four hundred megawatt hours, should be uh, completed this year. Um, That's 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 what we understand from uh, from the markets. Um, I can understand uh, why that would be, I think, with Vanadium prices running up to, to 120 $130 per kilogram V, um, you know, that, that would be quite disruptive for VRFB deployments. Uh, but with the correction, with the prices coming back down, uh, I imagine that not only the Dalian project, but many other VRFB projects are going to see uh, a good deal of uh, forward momentum.
0: Okay. With regards to projects like this, this is like a big, meaningful project. So what is it? Like eight hundred megawatts? I think
1: eight hundred megawatt hours. Yeah, yeah. yeah.
0: So you, do, you, do you plan to do like get involved with more projects like this?
1: Projects like that are great because obviously of their scale. Um, what we have focused our efforts is the African market from a deployments point of view. Mm. The African market for a number of reasons. If you look at South Africa, for example, uh, you have ESCOM, which has announced that it's looking to procure 1,400 megawatt hours of of battery storage. Um, And there will obviously be multiple technologies that are going to uh, uh, bid into that. We hope that VRFBs are going to be part of that mix. Um, you also have an integrated resource plan in South Africa, which has got a specific allocation for energy storage, something like 2000 megawatts. And if you talk about four hour storage, you're talking 8,000 megawatt hours. Uh, there are provisions within that integrated resource plan that spell out even more opportunities for energy storage, such as the provision that, you know, battery storage could, uh, play a role in peaking capacity, um, provisioning. Uh, and then of course you have the, uh, uh, provision that was announced earlier this year, that uh, you know, companies that want to generate power for their own consumption, will be able to do that under a significantly reduced regulatory um, framework. Um, you know, to the extent that that sees a lot more self-generation projects, they're more likely going to be renewable energy um, based. And uh, with that, we expect that there'll be great opportunities for energy storage deployments. And then now coming closer to home, we look at our own operations, right? The mini grid that we're developing at Vermetco, we expect it to generate power um, uh, and supply of at a cost equal, if not less, than what Vermetco pays to the, to the utility there. So we're quite confident and quite looking forward to using that as a test case, as a proof of concept uh, for others to follow. So yeah, in terms of opportunities for deployments, we are seeing, we're seeing a very, very good pipeline um, opportunities that we think are going to be uh, good in terms of their scale as well, right? These are not tiny projects, these are projects that offer sufficient um, uh, critical mass and size uh, to be meaningful.
0: Okay. So tell me a bit more about that. You mentioned ESCOM there, obviously there's a, there's a tender process to go through. What's your approach? And also you set out uh, this process would be gone through in 2020, no firm dates given. Um, yeah what's the process you're going to go through you know are you going to bring in partners or JV I mean how do you, what, what's your thought process
1: look depending on that uh, 1400 megawatt hours across multiple sites it depends how big uh, the different sites are going to be uh, in all likelihood these are projects will go into in partnerships uh, partnerships across you know multiple uh, uh, dimensions um, to start with, you know, there's the VRFP manufacturers, right? Um, we don't make our own batteries. Uh, we partner with VRFP manufacturers. Um, then you've got, uh, whether these are developers uh, or projects who have a history of developing large scale projects successfully, um, you also have EPC players, look, our, our whole model is one where we partner with various parties that bring their own, you know, areas of expertise to deliver a successful project. Again, what we did with the mini-grid at Vermetco is, is an example of that, where we have uh, a developer, we have um, an EPC partner, and we also have even an equity uh, and an investment partner in that mini-grid project.
0: Okay, but to, but talk to me about because people are excited about you building a vanadium electrolyte plant, right? It's yes. th- not too many of those around. So, um, you know, when, how much? What do you, how, how do you go about delivering something like that? I know you, you just kind of gave us a bit of an outline, but I think people are keen to understand more about the timelines, which you haven't mentioned there.
1: Look, the, the electrolyte plant has gone through different phases. We've done the feasibility studies, we've done the uh, environmental uh, authorizations for that project. Um, we have gone so far as to a place where we we make uh, the go/no-go go decisions in terms of construction um, between ourselves and the Industrial Development Corporation, and we are really now at a place where we're moving forward with construction, and we are appointing APC uh, contractors. Uh, it's a project which is moving forward, um, and um, you know it's going to be uh, in East London, as we've said, and we anticipate to start constructing this year.
0: Okay. What, you talked about going out and reaching out um, and doing roadshows and talking to institutions. Um, mm. what's, the, what's the feedback been when you? You said your people, you're not getting traction, but you get it, You're saying people are understanding what it is that you're trying to build. How do you get them over the line? Does it all come down to a Canadian price?
1: Again, the question has to be: what, what, what does it look like to get to get them over the line? I mean, if I talk to ten institutions and they like the story and they say, "Okay, fantastic," would like to be part of your story. Um, what is getting them over the line? Um, is it that they go into the market and start buying up bushfold shares? And you know, the general the general observation is that institutions are not particularly keen to do that, um, partly because of just how difficult it is to build positions meaningful positions in the secondary market. So so I can take feedback that says, look, um, you know, we get the story. uh, We like the story. And the general observation we have is uh, one that says, you know, if you have any event, um, you know, like capital raise, then come back and talk to us. And typically that's that's the time when you'll see institutions come onto your register. So, I, I don't feel that we are not having any traction when we are doing our road shows. If anything, I think that we are seeing really good responses, good feedback. Um, but again, I have to remind you that the last time we raised any significant capital in the markets uh, was 2018 March.
0: So how do you solve the problem?
1: It's a conundrum.
0: It is. I mean, it's a nice problem. Yeah. It's a nice problem to have in a way, but at the same time, you recognise that it, it's something that needs fixing.
1: It is, and you have to do it, balancing a number of things at the same time, right? Like I said, you don't want to raise money for the sake of raising money. Uh, you have to do it. Um, you have to you solve it, making sure on the one hand you're looking after your existing shareholders uh, who have been and who are supportive uh, of your story, and make sure that you protect their value, right? Um, at the same time you know, if you're going to bring in institutions and other shareholders on board, absolutely do that. But, you know, there's a price point at which it makes sense to do that. There's a price point at which it doesn't make sense to do that. When you have uh, options in terms of how you fund your story, it's a good place to be in because that means that you will look for the right time, uh, but you're not under any pressure to do something immediately.
0: So you're, you're a really well-run company. You look after your costs. You got some money in the bank, shouldn't you go and do something bold, like go and buy Largo?
1: <laughs> you know what? I think I, I was saying that you, you know, you should always dream. Um, we built this company on the back of a dream. Um, I do think that also you have to, uh, and the right to grow, uh, which in this instance, I think for us we are in a phase where we need to demonstrate that we can manage and run our operations well. And I think that's our, that's our, our big priority and focus at the moment.
0: Fortune, thank you so much for your update. I uh, always love hearing your story. I love the way you tell it. Um, stay in touch. Let us know how things are progressing this year. It's been a difficult start to the year for everyone. I mean, your, you know, your, share, your share price hasn't kind of got back to where it was in February. Um, I think that's a factor of the Vanadium price. Would you agree?
1: I think it has to do with the Vanadium, vanadium price to a large degree, um, you know, but look, we went through a lockdown um, and uh, we came out and reiterated our guidance for this year in terms of post-production volume and uh, costs. Uh, you know, I, again, I would hope that those sort of things uh, signal the levels of confidence we have in the operations we have. Um, And all I can say, I think, to both our shareholders and to the market in general is to
0: keep the faith. Thanks, Fortune. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.